All right, good morning. Um, glad you're with us on Mother's Day. And uh, we are in, uh, in a series called The Fruit of the Spirit. We're talking through uh, what's revealed to us in a section of the book of Galatians in the New Testament, where the works of the flesh are set in contrast to the fruit of the Spirit. There's a list of nine characteristics or traits that are, that are given that that are examples of, of what appears in the life of people who are connected to the, to the Lord and the Spirit of God is, is moving in them and changing them. And a few weeks ago, we had this branch with us, right? And it had blooms on it. Even though it had been cut from the tree, it was still blooming because we were sort of forcing some nutrients in it, into it, some water into it. But you can see just two weeks later, it's dead and it's brittle and it serves no purpose whatsoever other than just kindling. And the point, I want to say this before we jump in any further today, the point of this is to reiterate this important truth. When we look at what the Bible describes as the fruit of the Spirit, when we look at the fruit of the Spirit, we're not talking about good works, okay? We're not talking about actions that we can take that make us somehow better with God or more alive with God. That's, that, that has the situation in reverse. When we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, what we're talking about is fruit that is produced when we, are, when we have stayed connected to the source of life, to the source of power. It's what comes out of the life of those who are walking by the Spirit of God. And so a couple weeks ago, we looked at the fruit of love. And how love is, is not something that we do necessarily, but it's something that we become as we are connected to the vine, as we're connected to the, to the tree that is our Savior. And last week, we looked at joy. And joy not, not, can't be encapsulated in a feeling that we have. Joy, rather, joy is, is what comes out of us as we experience the pleasure of being with God. And so when we look at these things, remember it's rooted, these things are rooted in Galatians chapter 5, and I want to just take a look at one, a couple of verses from this section in Galatians 5, where it says this, it says, but I say, this is Paul, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. What Paul establishes here is that there's, there, there are these two forces that are at work, the flesh and the spirit, and they're, they're at war within us. They're opposed to each other. Or, to each other. And it's, it's this that describes why we don't do the things that we want to do. We have, we have desire to do the right thing, but we wind up not doing it. And Paul's saying that this is, this is the tension that we find ourselves in. You see, we were created, if we go back to the very beginning, we were created in a, in a state of, of consistent, constant um, just relationship with God in a way that created no, no conflict, external nor internal. We lived, they lived consistently with their Savior, with their God. But, but, but today we find ourselves living in a, in, in a time because of sin, because sin is, is real in the world, and our flesh is, is a manifestation of that sin. We find ourselves in this struggle where we're no longer consistent. We're no longer, all the, the parts aren't all together. They've kind of been pulled apart. And so today we're going to look at 
one aspect of that, that war that's going on with this issue of peace. Amongst the fruit that's described in Galatians chapter 5, peace is a word that actually gets at this idea most closely. We would understand peace to actually be, we think of it as as a a freedom from conflict, but it really has more to do with, the word that's used here has more to do with an internal, consistent peace with God. That it's it, that that we are we're in harmony, we're not living dis, disintegrated lives, but our life is integrated together with what God would have us to do. That the war between the flesh and the spirit is diminished, and we live more consistently. The Greek word is actually, if if anyone has like an aunt Irene, it's actually the word Irene. Put an e on the front, okay, and that's how it's spelled. But it's the word Irene. The name Irene comes from this idea of peace. If your name is Irene, you're probably someone's aunt, right? Um, but but, I, but this, it's this idea that, that comes from, that was prevalent in the early church, where they, they put things together, they put ideas together, and peace was a big one that comes up in, in the New Testament all the time, and it's oftentimes put together with the word grace. That we're, what, we, what, what we're after, what the best that we can have is the grace of God manifesting in our lives in such a way that we live at peace with our world that we live in a way that is, that is settled, where we would say it's not so much, in this context, it's not so much peace with others or peace with, it, it would encompass that, but the way it's used here, it's actually more like peace inside, like peace internally, okay? Not peace out there with my world, but peace inside. And so as we look at this, as we look at this, Peace is, peace is something that, that we desire, and we're going to look at a passage in Romans. It's a partner passage to Galatians 5. If you have your Bible and you want to go to Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, and it's, it's a, kind of a difficult, complex passage, so I want to do an, use an illustration with you right off the bat to help us understand this. And, 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 and remember we said just a minute ago that as we were created, we were created sort of whole. All the parts fit together right. And I think there's a perfect way to, to, for most of us to understand this, okay? Um, I have with me some Legos, okay? The greatest toy known, except when it's 2 o'clock in the morning and you have to wander into your child's room, okay? But I have, I have some Legos with me, okay? And these are Legos as they ought to be, okay? What I'm showing you, these are Legos as they ought to be. The pieces are all put together. They fit. Don't believe that propaganda piece that was Hollywood put out about five years ago, okay? That it's better to have them taken apart. That's not true, okay? They're meant to be assembled into coherent, okay? I just brought the cars, okay? They're they're meant to be assembled into coherent whole pieces, okay? But, okay, but what generally happens is something different, Okay? If you've got kids and Legos, or maybe you are a kid with Legos, we kind of wind up with the Legos a little more like this, right? Because we know that this is made up of this, okay? all the component parts. And so what happens, it probably happens at your house, it certainly happens at mine, is that we have some space where the Legos are as they ought to be, but then there's also space where the chaos of the world reigns, okay? And then, and then within that chaos, sometimes you get like little, little 
sections that are kind of put together, like you got a few pieces together, but this isn't anything, right? There's some stuff that's put together, that's crammed together, but it's not anything. And you get whatever this is supposed to be. It's got multiple parts sort of put together, but it's not a thing. It's not a whole. It's just some individual parts thrown together, okay? Now, the point of this is to say this, okay? Our life is made up of many different component parts, okay? And this is why I say that the movie is propaganda. Our life is made up of many component parts, but what we were intended to experience, what we were intended to experience, experience is wholeness. The parts all coming together in their proper place so that it forms a coherent whole, okay? This was our design. This is what was meant to be. But because of sin, the parts start to fracture, okay? It's pulled apart. It doesn't it, it sort of might resemble what it was meant to be, but it's not quite right. It's missing pieces. And now in the mess of life, we don't have peace as a whole. There's a struggle. So if you've got your Bible and you want to go to, and you're with me in Romans 7, clear a little space, okay? Romans 7, do I, does anybody know what happened? There it is, okay. In Romans 7, and I'm going to have to go back one. There we go. In verse 15, one of, the most, one of the most complicated passages of Scripture, I want to try and simplify this as much as I can, but in one of the most complicated passages of Scripture, Paul talks about sort of this very thing that I'm trying to illustrate for you. He says this. He says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I know that nothing... I'm jumping down a few verses from 15 down to 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin that's dwelling in me. Okay? Paul uses, he says the same thing over and over again in several different ways, but his point is this, and I think we can relate to it, right? Like, I, I want my life to make sense. Like, I want my life to be moving in, in, in one direction. I want my life to have a coherent whole, but I just can't seem to get any traction in that direction. There's, there's, I want to be kind, and yet at the first sign of trouble, I go straight into malicious mode with people. Like, I want to be honest but I'm really selective with the areas of my life that I'll reveal. And when I reveal them, I'm pretty careful about saying them in a way that, that's going to give you enough, but not really fully tell you who I am. I want to be pure, but my thoughts go down trails that I just sort of snap out of and go, what in the world is going on? And I'm comfortable saying that because I, I think if you're with me, if you're honest about your life, you have the same thing going on, and it's the same thing that Paul describes here. There's good that I want to do, but every time I turn around, it seems like I'm tripping over myself doing something else, something besides the good. And there's all kinds of stuff in life that I don't want to be true of me, but I just can't seem to help myself from doing those things. 
And I find my life in this just fractured sense where I'm, I, I'm, I'm just, I can't get the pieces together in a way that it's, it feels to me like, like peace. Like it's all one consistent whole. But fortunately, Romans 7 isn't the end of the story. It's not the end of the story in the big picture of the scriptures, but it's also not the end of the story even just in Paul's telling there in the book of, of Romans. There's hope in it, okay? And not just a future hope of heaven. See, this is one of the things, one of the mistakes I think that we can fall into is we can go like, yeah, 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 someday all the pieces will be put back together and we'll, it will, it'll make sense. But that's not now. That's not here. We can't have that. But the problem with that way of thinking is that that's not what the scriptures tell us. The fruit of the Spirit, described in Galatians 5 as peace, is present tense. These are the fruit of the Spirit. This is what the Spirit does in our lives when we're connected to our Lord. Now. And the story in Romans goes on. So take a look. We're going to jump down just a few more verses, but to the beginning of chapter 8. Chapter 8. And Paul says this. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Did you see this? Okay, present tense. There is therefore now no condemnation. The fact that that I'm inconsistent, the fact that my life seems like it's in all these fractured pieces, doesn't define who I am. And it doesn't define what I have to live and experience. This this disintegration, this pulling apart of my life that leaves me without peace, it doesn't have to be the story. And so so we find that that, that there is no condemnation, that we are free, that freedom and peace are going to be ideas that are tied together here. So I want to just, we just want to, as we understand the word peace, and we've been kind of doing this game, dissecting the word, trying to understand it and identifying its parts. One of the key things we're going to find about, about peace Okay? is that peace comes with a confidence. It comes with a confidence. It's a confidence in knowing that what God has, has done enables us to trust him with where we are and where we're headed. It's a confidence in knowing that we stand before him, not as the fractured parts, but as the whole. We, he sees us not as all of the things that we desire that we can't get right, but he sees us as he sees his perfect son who died for us. And that's the first step to sort of bringing confidence to us that peace can be experienced in this world, in this life. We can have it. We don't have to live fractured. We don't have to be chasing our tails, constantly desiring things, but not having our desires met. So keep reading, verse 3. Verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Okay, hold on here. Two words, flesh and law, right? We've talked about flesh a bit, right? Flesh is our desires that we have that are just natural to us. If nothing acts upon my flesh, I will just do the wrong things, okay? It's how my life gets fractured in the first place. My flesh, my desires, But he brings in another word here. Look at verse 3 there. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Now, the law for them encompassed the Old Testament law. 
the, the, the Ten Commandments, but moving out to even all the Levitical law and all of the law of, of the Old Testament. But the law represents, in a big way, it represents sort of external control, okay? External, what the law was, and what Paul's saying about this, is that what the law did was the law pressed in on us from the outside to try and bring about conformity, okay? So the law says, these things that you've done are wrong, and they separate you from God. And Paul's argument here is that over time, over time, that external control, it doesn't bring about holiness, okay? That external pressure doesn't change us. It doesn't take the separated parts of our life and put them back together. It leaves us fractured. In the same way, we may not look at the Old Testament law the same way that that the Christians in the first century who were transitioning from the law to to, to an understanding of grace the the way they might have looked at it. But we have an awful lot of external things that we try to do in order to bring some sense to our life. We may not have like a, a, a law that has all the statutes, but we have like a law of just good moral behavior that we try to live up to. And, and we, we just, we miss it, right? We get it wrong. If there's, if there's one thing I think that we all know about ourselves, it's that my intentions don't match my actions. We just... Even by our own standard, we kind of fail. So we put that external pressure. We, we, the fear of, of, of man, the fear of other people. So that's an external pressure. I'm afraid of what other people will say, so I just kind of try to act a certain way, try to behave a certain way. But that fractures us even further, right? Because now we're behaving one way in private and another way in public, and we know it. Our hypocrisy is, is clearly known to us. And we're... We're not, no closer to putting the pieces together. So what Paul is saying, right? What he's saying is, we have a problem. We have a problem. Our problems, our desire, our problem is that our flesh wants certain things. And, and the solution that was originally proposed to attempt the law put external pressure on us. But that external pressure, in the end, loses to the flesh. It loses. The flesh always wins. So by sending his own son, you see that second half of that verse? By sending his own son, who himself stepped into the flesh, stepped in as a complete whole, he lived without condemnation. He took away the condemnation by living as a complete whole. He did it. Jesus lived it. So look at what else Paul says, verse 4. In order, he did this in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So get this, in order, in order, right? In order, order. Jesus did this first so that, in order that, the law can be swept away, right? It can be swept away, but then the righteousness of it can be fulfilled in us. We, too, can be the whole. We can have it. It's available. It can happen. Do we catch it? Right? You with me? My flesh wants something. The law tries to constrain it, tries to hold it back, but the flesh always wins. So we needed someone who could do it to give us something. Keep reading, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. 
But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but get this, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and what? Peace. Peace. Get this? For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So in order that, in order that we might experience this same harmony, this same peace, Christ comes, he lives as a whole, and yet gives himself for us so that we too can know what it means to have life and peace. Two critical words, right? What my flesh produces is death. Where is it? It produces this, okay? This is what I get. This is what I get if nothing, if nothing engages my flesh. I get death. No life. There is no vitality in it. It's not going to bloom. It is not going to produce fruit. But through the Spirit, through the the power of the Spirit, and it says setting our minds, we'll say more about that in just a minute, but setting our minds on the Spirit, we get life and peace. We get life and peace. The word life here, we, we talk about this from time to time here. The word life is the Greek word zoe. There's kind of two words for, for, for life. One is just sort of like you're living. You have a, a pulse and you're breathing and you have brain function. You're alive. Okay? It's where we get, it's bios, where we get biology from. Okay? It's the root of there. But there's also zoe. It's, it, zoe is, is a different kind of life and it probably is, is better understood as more like you get like a flourishing life. It's the word that John uses in chapter 10 when he says, when, when, when Jesus is quoted as saying that he's come that you might have life and have it abundantly, have it to the full, right? But he puts that together with life and peace, okay? Life and peace. Now, this is fascinating, right? Because we've already said that, that peace, understood right, peace is this sense of being disintegrated, being pulled apart. It's, it's all the stuff of my life scattered about without any coherent whole. But life and peace are put, are put side by side. And so life, flourishing, seems to be tied to this idea of, of wholeness. That, that what, what we get, what we get with the Spirit of God is a flourishing life where we're not just a bunch of disparate parts, where, where I'm not experiencing the internal conflict that Paul describes and that we just, we just discussed about where I, I, I feel like I want to do something, but I just seem powerless to make it happen. I want to be good, but I can't force myself to be good. Where that doesn't have to be the case. I can live, have life and peace. I can have life and peace. And so the second idea, this is a big idea when it comes to peace. When we start to understand it, the word is harmony. Harmony, right? That we have our, the, 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 all the aspects of our life have come together into a harmonious whole. It's tied to the, the, the in the first century as they were, they were speaking, reading, writing in Greek, told you that when it comes to peace, they use this word Irene. But in the Old Testament, the Jews, and to this day, actually, the Jews still have a term that, that, that literally means peace. It's translated as peace, and that word is shalom, okay? shalom. 
But the, the word shalom, it actually means joined or bound, okay? And so in the, in, when the early Christians were trying to encapsulate the good life, the life of peace, they, they sort of borrowed this idea of shalom and brought it into the, the New Testament, brought it into their writing, into the Greek language, and used Irene, but it's shalom, and it means joined or bound together. It's, it's just a direct contrast with being divided, okay? Like Paul's describing, I want this, but I can't do it. I don't want this, but I can't help myself from doing it. We're divided we're pulled apart. We're disintegrated. We're not together. And so shalom, harmony, is, is the second big idea when it comes to peace. And of course, it involves divisions amongst people, right? Like we're divided from our neighbor. We're divided from our family. We're divided from what people who maybe at one point in time were friends. We, we have divisions amongst us. And of course, peace, shalom, brings that back together. But the term itself is really talking about something deeper. It's talking about that, that, those kind, that kind of harmony that we can have with other people isn't really possible until we sort of have it ourselves internally, until we're experiencing it. So keep reading with me if you, in, in Romans chapter 8, in verse 7. Verse 7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are, who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in, dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Catches there's this life again. There's this life again. So he, he tells us in, in verse 7 and 8, right, that the mind that's set on the flesh is, is it's, with shalom, it's divided. It's divided from God, right? But the mind that's set on the spirit, okay, Mind is set, set, on, set on the spirit, verses 9, 10. You're, you're not in the flesh, you're in the spirit. You can have this harmony. Okay? And even though the body is decaying, get that? The spirit is life because of the righteousness of Christ in us. There's this life again. The spirit is life. The body's decaying. The world around me is falling apart, but, but I still have life. I'm flourishing, life, peace. Keep reading, verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The life of God, for those, for those who know Christ, who walk with the spirit, the life of Christ flows through us. And at the center of this section, it says we have life. And peace, we're flourishing. We don't have to live with the disintegration, with all the, the separation, the dividedness in our life. We get the wholeness, what we call peace. And there's one more word on this, and it's a word that, it, that is tied to this as well, and, and, and the, just the root of the word peace is the word serenity. And I don't mean serenity just as calmness, although it may involve that. The word, for, the word here for, <clears throat> for peace, as it's, used, as it's used outside of Christian literature, okay? So as it's used, it gets used in Greek culture, this word Irene. 
And it actually refers to, to a state of living or a state of being where there's sort of harmony amongst the people, where, where the, the people in a kingdom or in a town or a village or wherever it is, but they're flourishing because their leadership is good and faithful and true and right and just. This is what it means. So the people in the, the city had peace because such and such a governor was good and fit and right and just, and he brought peace, Irene, to the city. That's why, this is why we think of leaders, rightly so, as those who keep what? The peace. You understand? We've got this idea, thousands of years later, we're still hanging on to it. That we flourish, we flourish when we're under the rule or the leadership of someone who helps bring about peace. Well, what does Paul say here in Romans? Why can the people of God flourish? Is it because our human rulers are so good and right and just? What is it that brings about our peace, our flourishing? It's that we are connected to the king, right? He is our rightful leader. He is our ruler. So there's this... Um, I mean, Make, make, tell, tell the story that might help. The first person, the second, sorry, the second person I know who had a cell phone, okay? Mo- mobile. We didn't, they weren't cell phones then, right? Who had a mobile? The first person was a girl I went to high school with. Her dad had a car phone. It was, you know, like as big as this big box. It actually had a cord, you know, in the car. The second person I knew was, was uh, a classmate of mine in college. He was quite proud of his cell phone. He shall remain anonymous, okay? But he had a cell phone, and these were the days where it was like, you know, like 65 cents a minute or whatever, right? Well, what he had done is he had used that cell phone so much that he had run up a bill that was hundreds and hundreds of dollars, okay? And, um, and his father, being a fiscally responsible man, cut off his service, okay? He cut off his service. But he still had the phone, okay? So what he would do, I'm not making this up, what he would do is he would walk about our small college campus with the phone held up to his face, and he would narrate his life as if he was talking to someone, okay? So he'd say, oh, I'm not doing anything. I'm just walking around campus. Yeah, I'm just walking up the hill from the cafeteria. No, 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 I'm just waiting at the street, heading into this building. I might stop and get a drink at the... This is what he did, okay? Now, those who knew, we knew, right? It's a sham, right? He has the device that was, like, it was given to him, can't be revoked, okay? I mean, I guess it could have if Dad had taken it, but at that point in time, he hadn't. So he still had, it was, a, it was a big piece of equipment that he would hold up to his face, okay? And that's the way he would go about his day on a regular basis. Point being, right, what did he want? He wanted everybody to know, I'm, I'm, yes, I'm making a judgment, sorry. But he, I think he wanted everyone to know that he had the phone, but was there any real power in the phone? No, right? Just like when we get a new phone, okay? We get a new phone, and we have the box, right? And it's exciting. And we, we open up the box, and we pull it out, and immediately, right, we start pressing buttons, and we start talking to people, right? That's the way it works, isn't it? Because the phone comes just ready for use, doesn't it? No, because we've all been through this. What happens? What do we have to do? We have to charge it. It needs some power. It has to be 
registered, right? It has to be activated. So you have to call and talk to the person and say, yes, this is really me, and yes, this is the 19-digit code that I gave the person at the store that actually I forgot. Is there some other way that I, you can verify my existence, right? Like, we have to go through these steps. And there's even stages of it, right? I can plug the phone in, and maybe I can put in my Wi-Fi password, and I can, like, check my email, okay? I can check my email. I, maybe I can even, like, go so far as to FaceTime. Okay? I can play Candy Crush. Do people still do that? I, I don't know. But, but I, can, I can use it for things, but it's not fully functioning until it's activated, right? And I can then make my calls and use it as it's intended to be used. Right? Now, here's the thing. Here's how, here's how one is like the other. Peace is a gift that's given to us by God. We have it. It's in our possession. However, as followers of Christ, we may not be activating it. We may not be engaging it. Just as Paul talks about the division that went on in his life, we may be experiencing division in our own because we're not setting our mind on the Spirit. Our mind is still set on the flesh. That's the language that Paul uses, that we, we have something in our life or things in our life where our focus goes and not our focus does not go to the Spirit of God. It doesn't go to the channel that we have to live harmoniously with the confidence of our standing with God, to experience the serenity that comes from living in a kingdom where our ruler is righteous and good and just, and produces flourishing. We may have the equipment and not be experiencing the real benefits. You with me? So what do we do? I have some suggestions, okay? The first is this. The first is this. One reason that we're not experiencing the peace just as it tells us, what does it mean to set our mind? One problem that we have is that we, we, we're so focused on the flesh. Our mind, our life, our energy, every bit of us is, is focused on the flesh. And so how do we move from this? How do we move away from it? Well, the first thing we have to do is intentionally ignore competitors. This is just the honest-to-goodness truth for us. If if entertainment is a competitor in your life, if, it, if, if our mind is fixed on the latest show or the next game or the next movie, or if that's where our focus is, we need to move away from it. If my flesh is drawing me towards greater and greater sexual indulgence, I've got to get to a place where that's cut off. It's ripping me apart. I'm not at peace. I'm being disintegrated by it. If greed is my vice... And I spend all of my time thinking about how I can get more. It's pulling me apart. I'm not experiencing peace because I'm moving in a direction that is away from the life of God and not towards him. Oh, I have the equipment. The Spirit has given me everything necessary for peace. But it's not activated. I'm walking around campus holding it up to my face and saying, yeah, look at what I'm doing. 
And if we're going to ignore the competitors, of course we have to focus on Christ as the source of our peace. We have to actually come to a place where we believe it's Christ and Christ alone who produces the peace. See, one reason we focus on we focus on the competitors is because we actually somehow believe that more money is going to bring me peace. That sexual gratification is going to bring me peace. And yet, time after time, we climb those mountains, we, we do those things, we engage in those places, and we walk away from it feeling no more whole than we were before. I'm, I'm confident in saying you know what I'm talking about because it's so vivid in my life. I know we go through this. And we're just disjointed. The things we want to do are not the things that we do. So how about a practical step for getting there? I'm gonna, we've been, in this series, we've been trying to, to say, how do we get to where God is so that the fruit of the Spirit of God can be present in our life? So I'm going to challenge you with something. We asked in week one, stay present with God's people. It's with God's people where his love is developed. The Spirit of God develops love in us. Last week, we said worship. Worship, because it's in worship that, that joy comes about. And this week, I'm just going to challenge you to, to do something. At some point during the week, try this. In a journal, it doesn't have to be a fancy journal, right? Get a piece of paper. Write out the lies that you're hearing in your head. The lies. The lies that say, if I just had a little bit more, I'd be happy. If this person would just accept me, I'd be happy. If I just had more, if I just had less conflict with whoever, I'd be happy. If my boss would stop giving me such a hard time, I'd be happy. I'd have peace. I'd be able to rest. I'd have serenity and confidence. Write those lies down. Write them down. And in prayer, pray over the list. Remember that Satan is the father of these lies and dispose of them. Do it. So don't write it in your fancy journal. Get a, get a crummy piece of paper, write down the lies, pray over the lies, and ask Christ to come speak to us in the midst of this. Tell me what the truth is. I don't want to focus on the, the imitators. I don't want to focus on the counterfeits that don't produce peace. I want to have the life of God that produces peace. Write it down. Putting it on paper Putting it on paper objectifies it. It removes it from me where I can look at it as, as objectively as we possibly can and, and say, I know that that's not true. Why do I believe it? I know that it's not going to bring me peace, but yet why do I continue to pursue it? And build this practice Build this practice when the lies come to get them out. Don't hold them in here. That's the stuff that's pulling us apart. Get it out. Look at it. Pray and ask Christ to give you the real peace. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you. <clears throat> we thank you that you are the, the giver of all good things and peace is it is yours. You, you have it. You are, you are the whole person. And um, God, we just confess that 
that in our efforts to try and have what you've already given us, we, we so often move away from you that we, um, we look for things to, to provide us with peace that aren't capable of it. And Lord, we ask today that you'd help us to see. Give us the the faith to trust you with these processes that, that you are where you've told us you are nearby. You are with us. Help us to look for you, to open our eyes to, to your presence. God, help us to, to identify the things in our life that are competing with you and your life that keep us from flourishing, from knowing you. God, we just ask that you would give us peace and then give us the strength to walk in it, to set our minds on your spirit. And God, we pray all of this because of what you've done and who you are and in Christ's holy name, amen.